You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast, brought to you by Go Hunt and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Sign up today to become an insider at GoHunt.com. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitments as popular brands like Sitka, First Light, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their community for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at Fish and wildlife.org that's fish and wildlife.org ladies and gentlemen welcome whether this is your first time second time third or you've been with us since the beginning i uh, just want to say thank you for the support uh, this is the average conservationist podcast and i'm your host marcus ewing uh, today is our one-year anniversary episode, so to kind of celebrate that and, and do a bit of a recap, I guess you could say, um, we're joined again by uh, 2% for Conservation Executive Director Jared Frazier, and we've had Jared on a few times, and we've, we've covered a lot. Um, we had him on the, the very first episode where it was just kind of a, an introduction to 2% and what we really hope to um, accomplish and get out of the podcast. And then we had him on a little later on and we talked about uh, burnout from uh, the standpoint of volunteers um, and everything like that. And then today uh, we get Jared back on to really kind of talk about all things conservation, uh, especially at, over the past you know year plus with the pandemic, with all that and how Two uh, percent uh, has been doing how they've been growing, uh, all the new businesses that they've brought on, as well as we talk about kind of the landscape of conservation in general, and really, you know, what a lot of the organizations out there are doing, 
uh, how they've uh, evolved and adapted over the past 14 months, 15 months, um, with not being able to do a lot of their standard uh, fundraising uh, and different things like that. So very um, informative episode. Um, Jared gets, you know, to really kind of let us in uh, to some degree, kind of behind the scenes of what's going on with 2%. Uh, share some really cool stories with some individuals or businesses that uh, have continued to contribute despite some tough times uh, over the past <clears throat> year. So really fun episode. Uh, this one runs a little bit longer than normal, uh, but I'm also super super excited because as I mentioned, this is our one year anniversary um, with the podcast. So we're going to be doing a very big giveaway with some of the partners of the podcast So this is going to come out and you will need to check into The Average Conservationist on Instagram uh, where we will be um, running this giveaway. Lots of cool prizes from Stone Glacier, from Go Hunt, from Wild Rivers Coffee, from myself, The Average Conservationist. Uh, So definitely be sure to swing over to The Average Conservationist Instagram page and check out all the details and all the cool prizes uh, that you guys can win. So before we get into the episode with Jared today, uh, I want to tell you about our friends over at Wild Rivers Coffee. Um, Wild Rivers Coffee has kind of become the fuel uh, that helps drive the Average Conservationist podcast. Um, I'm drinking one to two cups a day. Uh, The Guatemalan blend uh, has become a favorite of mine. Um, I drink it black, but you can definitely add a little bit of uh, creamer to it, whatever kind of is your go-to for coffee uh, in terms of styles of drinking it. They're going to have one of their different blends are going to be perfect for you. Uh, Wild Rivers Coffee, they're roasting in small batches so that they can ensure that your coffee arrives at its peak freshness. Uh, Wild Rivers is also, like the average conservationist, a proud partner of 2% for Conservation. And they believe in preserving the wild places and wild things that bring all of us so much joy. And that's why everything that they sell, a portion of the proceeds are donated directly back to conservation organizations that are near and dear to them. Conservation groups like Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Ducks Unlimited, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and Trout Unlimited. So go to wildriversecoffeeco.com and where you're going to get nothing but fresh roasted beans. Uh, you can get handmade mugs, some other sweet merchandise. They got some really cool t-shirts um, that are also going to be part of the giveaway that I mentioned earlier. So definitely be, definitely be sure to check them out, wildriversecoffeeco.com. And be sure to use the promo code all caps, fish underscore wildlife, and you're going to save 10% off your order there. Uh, Again, that is fish underscore wildlife, and that is all caps, and that's going to save you 10% on your order. Um, Anyone who spends any time outdoors knows that coffee is the lifeblood of uh, us outdoor enthusiasts. So be sure to fuel your next and all of your future uh, outdoor adventures with Wild Rivers Coffee. Um, Again, check them out, wildriversecoffeeco.com. All right, I'd like to welcome back to the podcast the 2% for Conservation Executive Director, Mr. Jared Frazier. Jared, how's everything going? Oh, fairly well, Marcus. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, I'm excited because um, as people will hear in the intro, this is kind of marks our one year with the podcast, and it's kind of hard to believe that it's been a year uh, that we've been doing this. And I remember when we kind of initially kicked this off, you know, I was almost a little bit worried that, 
you know, we might start running out of guests, um, whether it was businesses or, you know, individuals. But as the year has gone on, I mean, there's still so many companies uh, that have been brought on over the past year that we haven't got a chance to talk to yet. So I'm, uh, I'm really excited about where this is going in the future. Yeah, yeah. Um, things have certainly progressed from where they were a year ago. And I mean, even the even the landscape in the conservation world has has had some changes and stuff over the last year that have kind of really opened up communication corridors and whatnot for the general public to understand uh, the role of different organizations and, and roles that businesses and individuals are playing in ensuring a strong future for conservation. So I, I think the, the creation of the podcast couldn't have been at a more timely uh, moment. Yeah. And, you know, I think the biggest takeaway for me over the past you know year has just been being able to talk to all these different people. And I think I kind of knew that going in, but the more I got down the road of, you know, talking to people on a you know weekly basis, sometimes twice a week with, you know, depending on the schedule. It's amazing how similar yet how different everyone is, whether, you know, they own a small business, they work for, you know, a much larger uh, organization or they're just a committee member. Um, you know, this, the, the passion that people have, you know, the, the willingness to kind of set aside whatever differences they may have and kind of put the right foot forward for conservation. Yeah. Yeah. It's been incredible. So I kind of want to kick things off here. So let's, uh, let's recap, I guess, if you can, in how much detail you want to go into, you know, how 2020 was for 2% for conservation. Uh, unexpected, <laughs> pleasant, pleasantly unexpected, uh, I guess is how I, w- I would put it. Um, there were certainly challenges and I'll, I'll get those out of the way straight away. Um, you know, our, our conservation convention is now postponed out to 2022 Okay, because of shutdowns and stuff. And we moved the dates on that twice last year, uh, hoping for faster turnaround and lower infection rates and stuff. And uh, Bozeman being a hub for tourism with a very small hospital kind of ensured that that would not happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, that that has been pushed way out, but our sponsors, uh, One Shot Gear, Sitka, uh, Wild Sheep Foundation, uh, Stone Glacier, they've all been great about it and, and understanding and are, you know the fact that we've got money sunk into a venue that isn't opening up still here in 2021 uh, for oh, anything. Oh wow! Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So we're we're we made some adjustments and. One of the big adjustments last year was really making Community Conservation Day a, a bigger thing. Initially, it had just been a program that was part of the Conservation Convention. And we had intended last year uh, with the convention, we were going to do uh, online blend as well because we, we were getting so many notes from people saying, hey, even though you're making it free for conservation organization volunteers, I still can't travel there. From where I live because now we've got members I mean last year we added members in Scotland and Australia on the business side and we have individual members on every continent except for uh, Antarctica we did have someone there but they're no longer researching there uh, so you know the idea of someone being able to attend from far away just wasn't a thing so we were looking at online options and stuff and had that set up for some streaming and stuff 
And we thought, hey, why don't we make Community Conservation Day, which is part of the Conservation Convention, like have it have it be its kind of own standalone thing where people can participate wherever they live. So we started reaching out during shutdown to different organizations. Hey, do you want to do stuff on this day? We'll advertise for you. We'll help find volunteers for you uh, in your area. Uh, just let's try to all be working for wildlife on this one day in August. And we did that last year. Kind of, it wasn't really in replacement, but that's that wasn't the intent. But that's more or less what happened. Um, over that weekend, instead of the convention, we had the Community Conservation Day, and folks were volunteering all over the world. And it was one of the coolest things to see was people, uh, you know, from picking up trash in in their favorite uh, family fishing spot to doing invasive species uh, mitigation. I mean, there were some some burns going on. Like the idea of having a having a, a invasive plants burn, uh, prescribed burn go on in August. Like here in the in the West is is like sacrilege. Like right. you, you do, <laughs> burn down, <laughs> you're gonna burn the world down. Um, but you know, our membership lives in so many places. It just was really proven to us that hey, two percenters are everywhere and they want to do stuff for wildlife. And we saw that really borne out on Community Conservation Day last year, but we saw it all over the place. Uh, we had started a big uh, infrastructure overhaul within our organization, uh, moving where our files are, all, all kinds of things just preparing for growth. And we had started that at the beginning of 2020, not knowing what the year was going to hold, um, not knowing about we were you know hearing in the news about some you know bug uh, that might come over here and stuff, uh, but we had plans based on our present growth trajectories and stuff that we needed to get some more ducks in a row to be able to handle larger businesses, more types of businesses, um, and the partnerships that they go after, um, you know wherever they may be on the planet, and just have our infrastructure ready. And one of those big things was having our website work on any device in any corner of the world. So it would rank well in the US and Saudi Arabia and Kenya and Australia and Russia. And no matter what your language was, it would work well. And when shutdown happened, I, I talked to Calvin. At the time, she was our member coordinator. Now she's our brand coordinator, uh, which was another change last year. Um, I was like, hey, since there's going to be shutdown and probably less businesses wanting to get certified, let's do the website overhaul now. And you know what? You and I, we both have experience doing websites. Let's do it ourselves. So we started and, you know, I felt pretty smart, you know, like I'm using this downtime productively. <laughs> and then all of a sudden our email inboxes and social media DMs were filled with businesses asking how to get certified. Uh, at a level we hadn't had. It, it escalated to about five times. I look back at the stats getting ready for this call. It was about five times what we would normally have in a week. Oh, wow. And what that means for us at the beginning is, isn't isn't terrible because when a business signs on with us, it's a commitment first. They say, we're, we're not going to look back at what we did last year. We're going to promise for this coming year, and 2% is going to help us fulfill that promise of giving 1% of our time and 1% of our dollars. And that's fine in and of itself when you have all that interest. But after a couple weeks, now you're helping all those businesses. <laughs> and you're walking through the minutia of what does it mean for their team? What's it mean for the internal marketing? 
maybe it's one of the owners of the business that really wants to get certified and they have to convince one of the other owners of the business that this is the thing that should be important to us because it's important to our customers. And you're going through all of that with all of them and in the middle of it, we've got a half-built website um, that is supposed to do all these amazing things for all these people all over the planet. So we eventually got that done, I think it was June of last year, but we started it in February. It was supposed to take a couple weeks. I think I told my board, yeah, we'll have it done in a couple weeks, and it was you know, a couple months, uh, which is classic. If anyone's dealt with anything infrastructure-wise in a nonprofit, that's, that's pretty normal. But as soon as that thing went up, the interest from businesses and individuals internationally went up as well, too. It started doing its job right away, which led to more challenges for us on understanding how conservation works in other countries. We're very familiar here in the States with the, I'm using big air quotes, North America model of you pay taxes, wildlife gets funded, right, you know, right. morally. It, it, that's the promise. Now, we've often said and have, I should say, we've said from the beginning, if it was enough money coming from the excise taxes, we wouldn't have organizations like we do out there raising funds to do more work. The tax is simply not enough money. It's nowhere near enough money for what needs to be done for our wildlife just here in the States. And we're one of the few countries that has a funding mechanism built in where the users pay for the end result of, of ensuring a future for more users. And we only have it for hunting and angling. We don't have it for uh, other, you know, this, this broad spectrum of outdoor activities and this much broader spectrum of conservation way outside of hunting and fishing. So understanding in different countries how they work. So when, when Paul uh, emails us from Australia and says, I was watching Randy Newberg's show and he was talking about how they're 2% certified. I want to do that. Okay, now I needed to find out how conservation works in Australia. Wildly different from here. How you fund it is different. How nonprofits work is different. It, it's a whole different world. So we had to educate ourselves on that. And then we started getting requests from Europe. So now we're looking up and, and now we have an education program within 2% where I'm, you know, I'm taking in education. Calvin, when she's available, is taking in education on how wildlife law works, environmental law and stuff like that internationally in different regions. And um, I, I never thought I'd be thankful for something like the EU, you know, in my job. But it did simplify things for how they're <laughs> It's kind of uniform. Um, but all these things you wouldn't think about. Un having to understand as a nonprofit, especially during a global pandemic, we had to. And there was no other choice other than saying, sorry, we're not ready for you yet. Yeah, which, which you don't want to do. We won't do. When it, when it comes to helping a business get certified and, and to make the commitment, we want to remove every, every single obstacle. Uh, one of the obstacles we removed last year is we got rid of um, uh, exchange rates for members. So, uh, for example, our Canadian members, when they are looking at our dues chart, the, the base, the, the cheapest dues with, with 2%, and they're, they're all pretty cheap, you know, because they scale with size of business. Um, but the lowest bracket is $300. Uh, and that had been $300 US. So our Canadian members were paying like 500 some Canadian. We said, you know what, we're going to flat rate it. So you're going to pay 300 Canadian. And yeah, that's going to be less than the American, you know, business is paying. The U.S. business is paying. Uh, if you were to translate it over to U.S. dollars, but there's only like a half dozen countries that have a better exchange rate than the U.S. 
so for the rest of the world, they're having to look to pay out-of-country prices to be a member of ours. And when you start looking at countries where there's some serious conservation work going on, um, it, they tend to really be behind uh, uh, the U.S. dollar with their currency. So to remove those those you know uh, obstacles, that's one of the things we changed last year. Um, and we did not rob from Peter to pay Paul to do so. Uh, we've seen an increase in Canadian businesses. We have three times the number of Canadian businesses as we did prior to 2020. And, and same goes for individual membership as well. Even though our individual members are free, we found that a lot of business owners, before they sign on as a business, they become an individual member. And they, they kind of sniff us out to understand. And we've had just phenomenal feedback on you know, trying to have a more international mindset when it comes to wildlife instead of so U.S. focused. And it has paid dividends uh, for the wildlife and for the conservationists doing the work. Um, thus far. So those were some of the positive things out of 2020. Obviously, the challenges are, are directly tied to the positive things. Um, but overall, we saw just an incredible trend of people taking on the 2% standard during a very difficult time, which I hope that's encouraging for folks. With all the strife and, you know, when you can get into a fight over you know, whether or not you're taking care of fellow man, you know, uh, that going on in the comments section and in the real world all the time to see people taking care of the landscape and stepping up was a very, very positive thing for us to to get to have as a reminder uh, within 2%. Yeah, because it doesn't seem like, I mean, just looking back and, and this is a very general statement, but there wasn't a lot of really good things that came out of 2020, right? I mean, if if you look at the kind of the big picture and just, I think everyone's kind of overall mindset, I mean, yeah, there was just whether they were stuck at home, they lost their job. I mean, the the list goes on and on, right? So to have something like conservation, you know, almost unify, you know, this, this group of hunters and anglers and outdoor recreationists, uh, it, it, like you just said, it, it's an extremely positive thing that we can draw from, especially going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, last year I felt it, we, we were definitely on the outside of, of the general zeitgeist of 2020, <laughs> um, or, or I should say on the fringes of it because virtually every day offered an opportunity for us to polarize as, as both an organization and, and, and with our membership. Um, but there were really only two instances where we had to kind of put our foot down and say, hey, now, you're, you're being a bad faith actor. Um, and that's when, that's when folks came after our business members. And, and uh, one prime example, the governor of Alaska, saying that uh, Sitka, one of our founding partners, who gives about a million a year to conservation work, um, well over 1% of, of uh, you know, uh, well over our requirement, um, that they only do it, you know, for to sell product. Um, and that's, you know, we know that that's not the case. And whenever someone comes after one of our business members and that questions whether or not they're actually giving to conservation, which the governor of Alaska did, uh, we're gonna we're gonna bonk you. So we did that, um, and it was. 
you know, it was like six in the morning, like most of these things are, where you have to make the decision on what you're going to do. Right. Can't have a board meeting around it, right? And we said, you know what? We're going to stand with Sitka. So we started up that hashtag. We laid it out to bear. We contacted uh, folks in our committee program who have received donations for fundraisers from Sitka. We contacted conservation partners who are funded by Sitka, um, students that are funded by Sitka, um, whole sections of universities that receive funding from them. We have many business members that give like this. We, I mean, we've got some business members that give over 10% on top of also having an excise tax on them. So, you know, this is kind of ubiquitous across the 2% membership, but this is the first time a, a, a big entity or a well-known entity, it, it wouldn't have mattered if it was, you know, a celebrity or a politician or a news outlet. If, if they had said this about one of our members, we knew we had an action plan for it, and we had to do that this last year. And um, uh, the reports coming back from Sitka is it worked out really well for them. <laughs> Uh, having having the support and having the conservation community be able to see, hey, no, they've been validated for this. They've proven it. There's a third party that has proven how much they give. That is the check and the balance on this. So that some politician doing something to try to get more votes or try to get more donors for his political campaigns can't use a business and and grandstand off of their goodwill and just throw throw their shit everywhere all over people they can't get away with it anymore so our business membership you know they saw that and it was it was very impactful for them to see that there's an organization that will stand up for them as proof of you know the proofs in the pudding for them and uh it was only twice we had to do that in 2020 uh that being the most you know outlandish example where you have a governor of a state involved right <laughs> Um, but uh, otherwise, we we were able, you know, and I'm very thankful for this, and I'm thankful for our team and our leadership and whatnot. We were able to ride that purple line. Our logo is purple for a reason. Conservation should be nonpartisan, uh, not just bipartisan, but nonpartisan. It should be able to exist without parties, and it should be able to be partnered on without parties or or certain political affiliation or certain socio economic you know ties and stuff um and we got to see that tested real hard last year and not only stand up to it but grow through it which felt real damn good <laughs> yeah yeah that's a that's a victory on more than one front absolutely yeah so what do you or what in your opinion or is kind of the reason for you know the you know, the, the rapid growth over, you know, 2020, I mean, what was it that you can maybe kind of point to specifically that, that got more businesses and individuals wanting to, you know, become involved with 2% wanting to become, you know, members? Um, yeah. I mean, how, how did kind of the word spread or, or what did that look like? Or, or, you know, talk, talk to me about that. So this goes to a larger issue uh, outside of just conservation. Um, and, and it touches many, many facets. I, I can share from a personal perspective, um, one part of it that might help folks relate a little bit more and, and have it not be so heady. And I say that and I'm going to drop some kind of big words that mean a very simple thing. Uh, I, I identify as an altruistic egoist, which basically is someone who 
you know, you see your life's purpose as doing good for others because you know you will get good in return, or at least those who you care about will get some good in return. Essentially, it's way more, there's a philosopher listening to this right now who's just like ready to, you know, spam us in the, <laughs> something like me. that's not what I mean. Well, that's, that's essentially what it means. So that's, that's how I try to live my life and, and, and see the world. And there is a big influx of people that way right now. A lot of social structures are failing people right now. Things, things our parents did, our grandparents built. Um, you know, we're in something, uh, something of, of an 80-year cycle. There's, there's a, uh, I can't remember the name of the book, right? If you Google 80-year generation cycles, you'll, you'll find the book right away. But in it, essentially, the author argues that every 80 years, there's a turnover. And you have the people who, who do the building. And, and like forming of a, of a society, what that society is going to look like. And then you have the next generation, they come along and they dabble with it a bit. Some would say they kind of, uh, like if it was generational businesses, you know, the kid always, or the kid builds on what the, the parent, you know, started and then the grandkid loses it all. <laughs> um, then the, the great grandkid is the one who starts building anew. We're in that right now. Generally, generationally speaking, those in, in power right now are, are in the building something new stage right now. If you look at history, you go back 80 years, very similar pattern every 80 years going back uh, until the printing press and then it kind of falls apart. So we're in that right now of people wanting to build something. And last year, a lot of us had our agency taking, taken away, meaning our power to do things taken away. Your ability to go and have, you know, a, a, a nice night out on the town with another couple. Um, we didn't do that last year. <laughs> yeah. You know, your ability to go and have like a face-to-face, -face, someone pat you on the shoulder and say, it's going to be all right, bud. Instead, you got, you know, Zoom meetings with a guy saying, I'm still here, you know, with a cat face on him. <laughs> we, we were, we were uh, made to feel better in different ways. A lot of us had therapy via memes uh, all day last year. Um, all day, every day, what's the new meme to make me laugh today? Because God, I need to laugh. So we needed to do something. And overall, altruism saw a massive spike last year in virtually every, every, um, uh, vertical, uh, in the, in the, uh, philanthropy world, uh, whether it was funding for the homeless, food banks, um, uh, women's shelters, uh, programs for kids, um, new tax levies for schools to to get you know better funding into schools and stuff. Virtually every area saw an increase, and so did conservation. Um, ultimately, environmentalism, conservationism, all of that saw a massive spike last year, and a big big driver of it in the studies that have already come out. Um, that we've been reading, it all points to people needed to do something that actually went somewhere. Because we were fighting something you couldn't see. You could see the effects of it. Uh, most people, only one out of every 10 people, lost someone or knew someone who lost someone in the States. Uh, I'm one of the rare folks who knew three people who died from COVID who shouldn't have died last year from any other, like they died from COVID. Um, 
and I'm a unicorn in that sense. And then I had my own health thing with it this year uh, come off of it as well. But most people weren't connected to it and didn't have the ability to make positive change in that area. So they tried to do it in other ways. So for those who were in touch with the outdoors, who were passionate about the outdoors, uh, who finally were sitting down long enough to see what's actually happening to our landscapes, um, to actually see what's happening to habitat, to actually see how much has been lost, to actually see, hey, we've got all this public land out west, but turns out you can fill it up with hunters really fast and, and really quickly. Um, it really woke a lot of people up. Uh, conservation organization memberships went through the roof after hunting season last year, after archery season specifically. Because you had people buying tags all in the same year because they were able to go because they couldn't go to their offices. And they were flooding western states. Normally they'd go once every four years or something like that. Well, they used their stem checks to buy tags and stuff. And they came out west and everyone realized we don't have as much habitat as we thought we did. We don't have as much wildlife as we thought we did. Things are uh, exactly how the conservation organizations have been saying they are. And we've been calling them alarmists for years. Turns out they weren't. <laughs> they were just telling the truth and people weren't sitting down long enough to see it. So we had a combination of people needing to do something positive while also having a face-to-face -face with reality on what's actually going on. And it was a prime opportunity for people to make life choices and, and take action, um, you know, for the things that they love. So how many <clears throat> businesses in, and I guess individual, or let's just focus on the business part. How many new businesses did you have come on board in 2020? So we still have a few pipelined from 2020. Some businesses, if they're bigger, it takes a while. Um, and we have a couple businesses coming on board right now that started mid pandemic that are, or I should say mid shutdown. So about this time last year that are still moving through the process of getting their whole teams on board. Uh, but we doubled in size last year. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That, that's, I mean, that's, I, I mean, that's just such a, a silver lining in a year full filled with, you know, just unfortunate thing after unfortunate thing and you you touched on something and made a really good point when everyone had a chance to kind of sit down and stop gather their thoughts and really take a moment to you know like you just mentioned look at the landscape of you know just for example public lands in the west everyone thinks there's just well there i mean there is there's is a lot of land generally speaking but in order to handle the influx of, of like hunters, for example, that, that came out last year because they had the time, they had maybe the means with the stimulus checks and everything like that. Um, yeah, it's good to see. It's nice to see something so positive and so good come out of something, you know, so, so bad, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it even happened with, with folks who had a really bad year. Um, we had, Last year, a uh, half dozen business members go under because of the shutdowns. Um, and to, to a person, uh, they landed on their feet, um, you know, found, found good work. You know, those who want to work, 
there's great jobs out there, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, not everywhere, and not not in every industry. Um, I mean, here in Montana, we are certainly dealing with a minimum wage problem that is extensive because of how expensive it is to live here. Um, but I'll, I'll share one example. Um, we had Cedar Rock Solutions as a business member. Uh, they were one of our first. No, they were our first in Oregon because um, they were there before. Brinker moved back out there. Uh, Dave Brinker, the musician uh, and real estate guy who used to be at Sitka. Um, but Kurt had had started, you know, he had this uh, veterinary consulting business. He'd go to veterinary clinics and, and consult them on running an efficient business and customer care and stuff. And he wasn't allowed to do that anymore last year. His whole business model just did not work in a pandemic. So he ended up shuttering and, you know, couldn't be a business member anymore because his business didn't exist. Uh, but he said, I'm going to keep giving back. And he was, he was one of the first ones that emailed and said that, um, that, Hey, I think I'm going to have to shut down, but I'm, I'm going to keep doing 2% stuff. And you know, when you hear that from someone, we're, we're so jaded, right? Like people say they're going to do things and they just don't follow through. Right. Um, pretty soon I start seeing him giving back <laughs> and he's, He's going and volunteering his time, and, and now he's at his new employer, and they've got him traveling around the West and stuff, and he's getting their different offices involved in giving back. So he took what was an absolute lemon of, of a year, both professionally and personally, and now through the business that he works with, he has their different branches giving back way more than he ever could before. And he'll actually be, I'll, I'll be gone this weekend, but he'll be back in Bozeman this weekend. And he's checking out some trails with his family uh, while he's on a work trip. And he's looking for places to give back. Every place that is his new employers have offices. And it's, it's a personal commitment of his. So we saw that carry through folks who also just had a really crappy year, uh, which was emboldening and encouraging and, and a real kick in the pants for us, you know, when we started feeling down to see these folks who were losing their businesses still making giving back a priority. Yeah, I mean, that's and that's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I wanted to kind of dive into this topic a little bit and, and understand a little bit more kind of the, the totality of what 2020 was with the pandemic and obviously with the growth of 2%. I mean, those are stories that you just don't hear about especially in conservation. And one of the, the reasons that I love talking to these businesses now, granted, I haven't had a chance to talk to him even, you know, before the pandemic uh, and before losing the business and everything. But I mean, those are the stories that absolutely need to be told, right? When everything, you know, goes to shit and this guy still is making, you know, it a priority to give back. I mean, that's just, it just speaks volumes to the type of person that he is. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in a unique position where we get to see and hear those stories. Um, you know, both the, both for the good times and the hard times. Yeah. 1% of time and dollars sticks with you on a good year and a bad year. And, what we're hearing from folks and, and something that was always a question of mine is like, how is it going to feel when someone's having a down year? How are they going to feel about keeping the 2% certification? Because we did have business members have significantly down years last year. Um, 
in contrast with the outdoor industry businesses that were doubling, tripling, quadrupling in size. Right. Because uh, everyone was buying stuff to go outside. Um, but we got to see that and we got to see the heart of the kind of person, the mind of the kind of person who takes on the 2% standard and takes it on not for marketing, not for industry competition, not for another thing to, you know, have, have folks slap you on the back about, but because they actually care. We got to see how they embrace that in a, in a bad year. And it was just incredible and, and, and so encouraging. Yeah, I had, that makes me think of, uh, a quote saying, whatever you will, uh, that I had a college coach tell me and he said, you know, character is what you do when no one's watching. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that kind of, that makes me think of that particular story that you just told is, you know, there wasn't really, you know, when his business went under, there's not really eyes on him from a giving back standpoint, right? Because you don't expect him to be able to, but you know, when no one else is paying attention, no one else is seeing what he's doing, except for, you know, you and Calvin over there that he said, I'm going to keep doing this. You know, it's the right thing to do. It's what I want to do. It's what I'm passionate about. And he, he, yeah, I mean, that those are stories that, that again, like I said, people, people need to hear because it's encouraging and inspiring all at the same time. Yeah. Uh, another, another one just real quick. Cause I mean, that, that was one of the things when we started this podcast was, was going to be positive stories of folks doing incredible things, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, average folks doing extraordinary things for wildlife. Um, I think of like uh, another local business here, Alpenfuel, mm -hmm. Sean and, and, and uh, his family with that business. When the pandemic hit, they were making like subscription boxes and like if you were going to do a through hike, um, you know, you could have your, your meals shipped to your, uh, cash locations. Uh, for those who don't know, like, let's say you're going to do the Appalachian trail. How do you eat the whole way along that way? If you're doing restaurants the whole way, holy cow, that's expensive. So <laughs> the way a lot of folks do it, like they're doing Pacific crest trail, continental divide trail, great Northern trail, Appalachian trail. If you can't tell I'm a fan of big trails. Um, they, they set up caches. So you, you have friends or family or a service send food to a location where your next stop will be so that you have enough food for a week, you hike for a week, you get to that next spot and there you have more food. That Their business was really built around let's have that food there at those locations. Well, guess what shut down? All the trails. <laughs> they were all shut down because they're, they're communal campsites. Um, you know, these cash stations will often have like a hundred people uh, especially on the Appalachian Trail, camping at them. I mean, you can't do that during a pandemic. So, okay, what are we going to do? Also, uh, they they lost their, their other sources of income um, because of shutdowns and being furloughed and stuff. So he goes out, he picks up some restaurant equipment, starts getting some space here. All of our restaurants were you know more or less shut down here in the Bozeman area because we're not built for delivery. We're built for tourists coming in and sitting down. Um, the infrastructure of the restaurants isn't really built for like, all right, we just got an order of dim sums. Now, many of them have transitioned, but at the time, hardly anyone was ready for, for having to be like delivery and takeout ready. So he was able to get equipment. Now he's making meals. And Alpenfuel now is a company that makes backcountry meals. And 
over the course of that, he kept his commitment to giving back. Uh, it was shared by one of our committee members today, uh, Lee, who works with the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance, about how they're a corporate partner. And that partnership was made in the middle of the pandemic last year during all of this, when most folks were just throwing up their hands and they're like, you know what, I'm going to sit at home, I'm going to eat popcorn, and I'm going to watch a girl play chess on Netflix. <laughs> now, Sean may still have done that, but he also built a badass business in the middle of it and kept his commitments to conservation. He did a Goat Alliance survey, volunteered a whole weekend, um, counting goats, uh, in the process of totally, totally pivoting his business uh, in the middle of a global pandemic. So again, incredible, incredible things um, that we saw folks do when what was mostly in the news was not that. Yeah, um, yeah. Sean's a, a a good story because obviously we had him uh, on the podcast fairly early on, and at that time he he was just recently he had just been furloughed, just lost his job because of the pandemic, and yeah. it would they were right in the process of starting to. Um, make their own their own granola their own um meals and it was a a real tough time for him i remember him you know talking about that kind of at length during our episode and to see and and sean and i've kept in touch a little bit over the past you know eight ten months since he was on and to see you know how much that business has grown and to see these massive orders that they're they're shipping out to you know new partners uh as far as you know distribution i think you can get them on amazon now uh i mean there's just so many different ways and to see from the outside looking in it it appears that you know they've they've come through this you know better than i think probably anyone including them uh expected yeah yeah um, and, and that was, you know, one, one thing that was also really cool to see last year was how our individual members stepped up to shop 2% brands. Uh, we put, and, and it's still the header on our website right now, um, you know, is, is how businesses are, are giving back despite what's going on um, and giving back above and beyond what they normally do. Folks should support them with their dollars um, to see so many uh, people <laughs> who are individual members of ours, uh, tagging when they get their orders from different businesses and for us to know the backstory of what's going on with those businesses and to see individuals around the world booking trips with 2% certified guides, um, you know, ordering head to toe gear, uh, from 2% certified gear brands, um, ordering meals, ordering coffee, uh, we certified three coffee companies last year Yeah, uh, with another four in the pipeline right now. Uh, and people are now, you know, drinking exclusively 2% certified coffee. Um, that's, that's incredible um, to see people step up and support the businesses. And that, that goes back to our mission of this alliance of businesses and individuals ensuring a future. Yeah, there's a lot you can do it on your own as an individual for wildlife and conservation. We've got incredible stories of folks, you know, putting second mortgages on their home to help buy land to protect it from being developed and stuff. Uh, right here, you know, I can see some of the land actually from my house where that was done. Um, and that's an extreme example. But on our everyday mundane things like picking what coffee you're going to drink, picking like do you just grab the thing off the shelf at the store? Or do you look and see if there's a 2% certified brand that sells that thing? Um, 
you know, those little decisions that people make in the day to day make a huge impact for wildlife. And when it happens at scale, that's where we start to make up this massive deficit in between what taxes bring in here in the States and, and what actually needs to be done. And, and especially overseas uh, with getting work done. Uh, the more international brands we have that are 2% certified, you know, that is more money going directly into wildlife in places where they don't have a Pittman Robertson or Dingle Johnson or Sloop taxes. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny you mentioned the the coffee, you know, the the various coffee brands in particular that you know that were certified last year that are in the pipeline now. I've said this on more than one episode is that I don't think that I've drank a cup of non or I I haven't made, I should say, made a cup of coffee that was not from a 2% certified business in Oh, it's, it's been some time, you know, six, eight months at least. And it's, it's so cool to hear, you know, everyone kind of gets to, and I'm speaking about, you know, coffee companies, they kind of all have their own unique path on how they get to it. You know, we had Aaron Hitchens on from Early Riser a few weeks ago. You know, I've talked to Tony at Dark Timber, Marshall and Sammy at Wild Rivers, and they all have different paths, right? But they all have this, this love for coffee for the outdoors and they're able to make, you know, a, a go at it with, with their business. I mean, I mean, Wild Rivers is, has come on as a partner of the podcast. I think that, uh, actually later this summer, um, if all works out, I'm going to get down to Texas and, and spend some time with Marshall, uh, down there, maybe try and, and shoot some axis deer or some hogs or something. We'll kind of see how that plays out. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, that's a, a prime example with the, the coffee companies. And, and we saw uh, last year, more, the majority of the businesses that got certified still had an outdoor connection to them, mm-hmm. but it was a larger percentage of businesses that came on that had no outdoor connection uh, as far as their product or services. Um, you know, and, and you, you don't, like when you think coffee, you don't think wildlife habitat necessarily. Well, the fact is, yeah, <laughs> you do need to think about it. It's it's a product that comes directly from the land. Um, when you think about you know different like real estate services, we we certified. Um, we now have three, four. Two of them are on the website so far, but we have four uh, certified real estate brokers or companies. Okay, and you wouldn't think about you know. Uh, working with a real estate agent that supports land until you start thinking, well, what kind of place do I want to live in? What kind of place do I want to buy, you know, a, a, a place? Um, does my real estate agent care about the local resources? If they don't, oh boy, you know, <laughs> um, maybe, maybe I, I should be looking for one that is working on that. And, and we've, we've seen an influx there. Um, there's all these different areas that are connected to conservation that are just not as easily marketable in magazines and in films, but they're finding a place within 2% certification to tell their story and in a way that their customers can understand. And we are looking at a very positive future because of that, I believe. Yeah. Um, When we look at the big, you know, the big things that need to change, when you, when you look at stuff like the, the UN council, on, on wildlife management stuff, and, and that's not a proper name. There's, there's someone going, hey, that's not what it's called. 
Um, but you know, those, those groups, you know, the big, big groups doing the big, big studies, uh, cross discipline and cross jurisdiction, uh, you have these big issues that are laid out that seem just like too big to tackle way too big to tackle. And in my mind, it harkens back to the thirties and the fifties, um, right before, um, Pittman Robertson and right before Dingle Johnson, uh, acts going into place. How do we, how do we stop these species from coming back from the brink? You know, is what we were looking at back then. Um, how do we get our waterways taken care of? We don't, you know, if we tax these other businesses, they'll, they'll move elsewhere and stuff. Well, how do we, how do we do this? Well, we're hitting that right now, but at a global scale, we have these big challenges that need to be tackled. And the way they're tackled is each one of us making small changes, you know, small, small decisions in a positive direction. Um, you know, we like to call it moving the needle. As long as it's moving, the needle is moving in a positive direction on the gauge for conservation, we're doing our job. And you would have thought that needle would have gone way the hell backwards last year. And it did not do that. So kind of taking that one step further, we had, you and I had sat down and talked, oh gosh, I don't know, six, I don't know, six, seven, six, eh, six months ago, let's say. And we had talked about burnout uh, and a lot of um, organization members or whether they were just a, a member donating their time to a lot of different organizations or they were acting uh, on the board of directors for uh, a local chapter or for a national chapter chapter whatever the case was and burnout was was one that was the topic that we spoke about and obviously with the pandemic you know last year and even in the first part of this year uh, yeah, a lot of places or a lot of organizations have still not had the opportunity to hold banquets and things like that. So kind of flash forward to, to, to present day, what are you seeing from a lot of these organizations? Are they able to kind of write the ship, so to speak, or get creative and come up with new ways to raise money to, um, rate or to grow membership? I mean, how does that look? So it's, it's still in flux right now. Um, things are still, moving and there are some areas that are doing better than others but as a trend it 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 didn't get better over 2020 uh and we had started like you know what we talked about last time we had been talking about it back in 2019 um you know we had an article in 2019 and that was before everyone was asked to go way above and beyond right. while also losing their jobs and, and stuff uh, and having to watch their kids at home all day and teach and all these things. Um, that trend kept going down through 2020. Uh, volunteer burnout was just, it was getting worse. Um, you know, we put out more stuff about it. We reached out to partners for, you know, hey, please make sh sure you're taking care of your volunteers. Um we reached out to business members to, you know, hey, let's let's have some incentives for folks who give back. And some of them stepped up and did some incredible things. Some of them already had some of that stuff in the pike because they have their fingers on the pulse of what's going on too. Um, and you know, a lot of action being taken, but we kept watching. You know, it's like a flywheel. Once you start spinning it, it's hard to slow it down. And it was this cascade of burnout, just burning through. 
um, you know, and in every at every level um, in the conservation world on the volunteer and employee side. And then this spring hit, and the online banquets happened. Uh, everyone assumed they would bring in way less money than they did before, uh, but they happened right around the same time as stimulus checks happened. And a lot of groups put some effort forward, and we were one of them, to say, hey, if you're not sure what to do with that money, you know, you could buy Dogecoin, but you could also, <laughs> or GameStop, but you could also, you know, buy that item that you've always wanted to buy from, you know, a conservation group auction. Uh, trips are going to be a thing soon. You should buy that couple's retreat, you know, that's been donated at auction. Um so we saw this cash influx hit organizations doing online auctions, not across the board, um, but in many places they, they were doing way better than they thought they would, uh, which is, you know, when you're dealing with not hitting your numbers for a year straight, that is a nice, you know, nice little uh, kick in the pants to get back in the fight. On top of that, we saw a bunch of people who started joining up last year start taking some ownership. And one of the things we were calling for last year was get in the game because it's 1% of the people doing 99% of the work. Let's try to move it to 2% of the people doing 98% of the work. And we're starting to see that happen. Again, not across the board. Uh, there are some parts of the country – uh, and and across across the globe, uh, but you know, mostly most of the listeners here are listening in Canada and in the U.S. You know, there's still sections where there you're not the cavalry hasn't come, and you're still having to hold on and, and keep working. Um, but more places than not, folks have started stepping in to do the work, and instead of just watching their friends be frazzled, uh, <laughs> join in and pitch in and see how they can help. So do a lot of these organizations think that hopefully by the end of, of 2021 here that things will kind of be back to, to status quo and that they'll be able to get back to a point that they, they were pre-pandemic? Um, some are. Again, it's it's uh, the conservation world's so diverse. You know, like if, if we were to just look at, let's say, Upland Bird. Um, most folks can name, you know, one, two, maybe four organizations with 2%. We work with over a dozen and a half organizations that work on upland bird stuff. So we, we end up seeing, you know, a lot more, uh, but the big ones, you know, they're starting to move back to where they were, uh, pre pre pandemic, but in different structures, different leadership structures, different, um, funding structures. Uh, we saw a lot of organizations pivot how they get their funding last year, uh, which honestly was a good thing. We, we shouldn't be so dependent on, you know, getting people liquored up and then get them to spend. <laughs> that <is> really, <laughs> it's a really filthy way of putting it. But essentially, that's that's what a banquet can be. <laughs> yeah, its yeah most, absolutely. At, at its at its most uh, hedonistic, I guess, um, is, <laughs> you know, uh, let let the alcohol pour and let the money flow. Um, pivoting away from that to more, you know, long-term giving plans. Uh, people are starting to do living wills around, around, uh, conservation. Um, 
couple organizations were already kind of ahead of the game on that. Sheep Foundation, they had uh, someone that they, they brought on who specifically worked with financial planning uh, for people with their estates and stuff. Uh, they were working on that back in 2019. Uh, so they were, they, you know, they were able to transition quite a few things. And, um, you know, we saw folks really start to understand uh, crowdsourcing their fundraising instead of hoping for a couple big whales to carry them. Um, traditionally with a banquet, it's less than 10% of the room pays for all the fun, right? Like uh, you take your average banquet and you've got the people who bought the expensive seats in the front and who also buy all the expensive stuff during the auction, typically. Yeah. Um, and drop a lot of money for their employees or, or friends or family to go spend on the games that you might have with raffles and stuff. And if they don't show up, you're sitting, you know, with a with a giant egg there going, all right, now, now we have no nest for this baby. Um, and that's what happened last year. That's what we saw. Whereas this year, folks had transitioned to make it more accessible so that you wouldn't have to have as many whales. You still need you know, some big spenders in the room to make it happen. Um, and ideally a lot of them, but now folks have come up with, with online formats that, you know, don't require having people dropping six figures in a night. Uh, you can have people dropping 20 bucks and you can have hundreds of those people dropping 20 bucks and make up for one of those whales and not be in there. Yeah. So, those things we've seen as, as positive trends um, that are a bit more future-proof. Um, I'd still say that most of the big organizations are just too convoluted to give to to survive a second year of pandemic. Okay. Um, or to be kind of future-proofed for when millennials are the ones, you know, the primary donors. Um and I, and I say that looking at who has what kind of money, um, who shows up to these things, and who's coming down the pike. And when millennials are the old people in the room, they're not going to have the same kind of money that Gen Xers and boomers have. Right. So our funding mechanisms, they need to be trained. We need to train the millennial generation and the Gen Z generation on giving back. That has to be done with every generation. Boomers were trained on banquets. Gen Xers were trained on conventions. Um, if you look at when they historically popped up, you know, Gen Xers built conventions. Boomers built banquets. Millennials are the ones building the online. And we need to train our own generation on how to be involved and how to always be in a mindset of giving. As a big difference between us and, and banquet and convention. Banquets and conventions happen once, maybe twice a year. Online giving needs to happen year round. Yeah. It's a, so it, it's it, a lot easier to to I guess that mechanism of online auctions and funding through that is yeah, it's it's a much easier thing to do to set up um, to kind of have that revenue stream continually come in. Well, it, it actually, according to our committee members who, who do these, so uh, one of the first online banquets that happened last year was the Wild Sheep Society of BC. They were the first, first one that we know of that canceled and had a, a plan for how they were still going to get money in. Um, and they, theirs was in February of last year. So, you know, very early in the pandemic. 
and they they saw the writing on the wall. They made transitions. They prepared and they acted, uh, like <laughs> very admirably. <laughs> what they were able to accomplish and and without examples to follow is is still just it makes me grin every time thinking about it and thinking about you know knowing the people who did it and everything. Just very proud of them and what what they did. Um, but they've said, and this is what I've heard from the other committee members who volunteer in similar positions around the U.S. and Canada, it takes three times as much time and effort to put on an online event. Really? Yeah. Because you have to facilitate shipping. You have to facilitate, you know, like not everything's going to be in one building for everyone to see. Right. Um, you're dealing with multiple vendors. Um even with everything having to move online last year, the event companies really didn't step up as they could, as well as they could have. They didn't change their pricing models, so you have to compensate for that a bit. Um, there, there are just there's a lot of headaches with it. Promotion is hard. Um, you don't get to keep everyone's eyes on it at the same time. So, like in a banquet, everyone's listening to one speaker. You you do an online virtual banquet. Yes, someone's dog's hopping up on their lap, you know, in the middle of, of while they're talking or while they're listening. Um, the retention of attention is very difficult uh, with online. So it takes way more effort. Um, but what we're looking at is moving beyond the once a year let's raise money model to having more people be annual members of organizations and give more than just their membership. Instead of just buying the $30 membership to also have, you know, a different mechanism where they're giving on a monthly basis to have it automatically be coming out of their paycheck, um, you know, not straight out of their paycheck, but out of their bank account, you know, right. that they are, they have automatic funds that they're sending uh, and different perks that those members receive down the pike. We're seeing organizations build plans like that, okay. which is a very positive thing because the banquet model is honestly a model of the past in many, many ways. It, it will have value moving forward, but it has so many Achilles heels to choose from uh, that could make it not be the most efficient way to get dollars to the ground for wildlife that we need to come up with better solutions. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, when you break it down like that, I, I totally see how, uh, yeah, it can be a lot more um, taxing, uh, especially on the front, well, front end and back end to to make sure that you're, you know, keeping your um, your members engaged throughout the entire process of um, a giveaway, an auction, whatever the case is. So <clears throat> I want to shift gears a little bit here. Um, the Your Conservation Media Awards, I know... That we had talked in that, uh, or talked prior to starting to record here, but the the entry, the deadline for the entries has passed. So when can uh, our listeners uh, and members and everything like that uh, expect to see some some winners and things announced? And how will you guys go about that this year without the um, conservation uh, convention um, being postponed another year? Yeah. So traditionally. Um... Well, I mean, this podcast has existed outside of us presenting any award in person um, because of last year being postponed. So the way I'm actually looking at the trophy right now, it's sitting in my office um, waiting to have the, the names from last year put on it. There's a bit of a backlog at the trophy uh, shop here in town. But um, 
the what we're sitting at right now is we've got our entries and we always do a staff sorting of entries for our volunteers who do the do the judging mm-hmm. uh, because we do get some entries that are like here's my my conservation media award entry and it's literally just kill porn um kill shots on deer from the last 20 years uh, like okay where's the conservation message, you know, or, or are you just, you, you're trying to get a TV deal, bud. Okay. That's what's going on. So we sort through all that so that our volunteers don't have to sit there and, and you go, all right, is, is this, am I watching conservation? This doesn't seem like conservation. There was one, (laughs) there was one this year, uh, where it was like beat poetry, but it had nothing to do about wildlife at all. It, It had stuff to do with like, social economic stuff but nothing to do with wildlife and i sat and i watched the whole thing um (laughs) i'm i'm enriched i guess uh for that experience but uh it's we're sending out this week all the entries to our review team and the reviewers are committee members volunteers uh with different organizations employees of different conservation organizations we also added a couple business members this year uh, who are artists or who, you know, really have, um, you know, a, a, a knack for the outdoor media world a bit. Um, we've got a couple board members involved with reviewing as well. So that will take place over the course of this next month where everything's kind of sliding back a month right now um, because we've got some projects this summer that we're involved with, with pronghorn and stuff. We're just putting resources, uh, you know, time resources in other places, we should have an announcement around the 4th of July. Okay. That The goal was first week of June, and the sorting took way longer. I mean, didn't expect beat poetry. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and no diss to whoever sent it in. I don't think they were listening to this, though, because I looked. They don't follow us anywhere. I don't know how. I, they they must have been. They must have submitted it by accident. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we had a lot to sort through. So uh, the week of fourth, the 4th of July is when we'll be announcing that. Um, and, you know, last year we split it up into different categories. And one of the categories was student. And we're seeing yet again, because the schools were still shut down, students really didn't have access to media rooms. Um, they didn't have access to to, you know, school resources to, to do different things. So, uh, another year without student entries, uh, at, at what we would expect. But, um, I think that's, that's directly pandemic related. There are some incredible films that were submitted this year. Um, a few in particular that I think are going to change, not change, add another facet to the paradigm of, of, conservation media and and how we should be looking at it those of us who care about specific species and are members of species specific organizations how we should be looking outside of our people who look like us and do things like us um to have as partners and when folks see the entries they'll they'll know exactly what i'm talking about and hopefully be as inspired as as we've been by those Awesome. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that. I know that there, I mean, there's so many different kind of avenues um, to promote conservation, uh, like I guess on your own end, whether it's, you know, film, the written word, uh, media, you know, any type of media. And it's always, it's 
I've got to imagine, especially uh, on your end and your team's end with sorting through all these entries of seeing all the different ways, uh, aside from maybe poetry, um, how, how poetry people be great as long as it's conservation focused, you know, it can <laughs> yeah. be it's just, this wasn't, you know, yeah. and how they can, um, kind of shape that to their own beliefs or their own views on conservation. So that's always, that's always something that I'm excited to, to kind of see roll out. Yeah. Yeah. You really get, you know, when, when someone says this is my conservation media entry and what they send in, you're, you're getting a taste of what conservation means to them, what it looks like to them, what the important work, you know, big air quotes, but like to them, what the important work is. And that, I mean, it's, it's really helpful for understanding where, culture is at in many respects or at least the culture you know the 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 part of the world that knows about us you know enough to send in some entries uh where their heads are at and it it does help us kind of shape our you know our content back to them and our our messaging and and our pr efforts uh to try to meet that and and hopefully in folks being able to see these entries it helps you understand a bit how to talk to folks uh, again, outside of your personal sphere when it comes to complicated issues. Yeah. So <clears throat> I know we're kind of up against the, uh, the clock here. So I almost feel like I'm asking my boss or my teacher how my performance has been, but like, so, so what are you, what have your thoughts been on the podcast over the first year? I mean, obviously this was, uh, I would say kind of Dan Johnson, kind of his, his baby or kind of his idea that got the ball rolling on this, but what are what are, what is your takeaway over the first year of the podcast? You know, it to to have a steady beat uh, for folks to follow is important in any movement. Yeah. Um, and I see the podcast as kind of that. It's it's a steady drum. Every week there is a positive conservation story from someone new who again is. And, and we say, you know, average folks, some of these folks have not been that average. No, you're right. What they've accomplished. There, there comes a point where you've done incredible things and you're no longer, you know, just an average schmuck. Right. Um, and, and it's not to say that there, there are some that were on that are average schmucks. That's, that's kind of the joke of it. None of them are actually average people because they're taking a stand for what they care about with the things that are most precious to most people, their time and their, their resources. And, you know, to have that consistency through such an inconsistent time culturally has been such a positive force for good. Um, I think we're, we're both going to be looking back. I mean, we're already looking back at it with some grins right now, but we're going to look back 10 years from now and be real damn proud of this first year. Um, you know, looking at everything that not only we've gone through, um, you know, yourself and, you know, launching (laughs) something in the middle of a pandemic like this. Um, but the consistency through it, um, when there was inconsistency everywhere around us, Yeah. Uh, hopefully, and, and I, I, I say hopefully, but I know of personal examples that were shared with me. I know it's done good. I know it's helped people stay the course. 
I know it's brought new people in. We've had business members say, well, I heard you on the Average Conservationist podcast. I heard one of your business members, or I've been listening to that. The ones that are really funny to me are the folks who are like, yeah, I've been listening to the Average Conservationist podcast the last couple of years. Like, well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it, it becomes such a part of your life, you, you think it's been around longer. Yeah, so, you lose track of the time, right. Yeah, um, and that shows the impact. Right. Like I don't hold it against them. If anything, it it shows, hey, we're doing our job. So, um, yeah, if I were to to give you a a review without this sounding like, you know, a a back patent contest, um, you know, it's it's been a very positive, positive thing for the conservation world. And I know that because we've been told it and we've got metrics that prove it. Yeah. And I think some of the one of the I mean, not only just just hearing everyone's story. And how different they all are. But I've had people send me, you know, messages through Instagram or Facebook and, you know, say, hey, you know, I love your podcast. You know, it's it's given me, um, you know, some insight and it's given me a lot of information on how to get started in the conservation world. You know, whether they're a new hunter or a new angler uh, or they own a small business, whatever the case is, it's it's almost like given them like a, I don't want to say a cheat sheet, but it's given them a, a good starting point. And for me, that's kind of been like the biggest compliment that, that someone has given me is, you know, thanks for helping point me in the right direction with conservation or, or show me where I can get involved. And I mean, I think obviously when we set out to do this, it was to tell these stories about all these great individuals, but you know, the, the kind of the ripple effect is the people who, you know, weren't participating in conservation to maybe the the level that they wanted to or that they thought they were and how that's you know kind of helped them or or given them that nudge to to take that next step to not just become a member of an organization but now they're donating their time within the organization or they've joined another organization and found what they're passionate about you know along the way yeah yeah um one of the comments uh, we, we got back, I want to say it was, it was around the holidays, uh, which if folks look back to what the holidays were like this year. They're, they're pretty down, you know, <laughs> <laughs> no matter what your situation was like, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks were pretty unhappy <laughs> in general about different things. Um, but we got a comment back around that time of, I had been looking for ways to give back and now I'm a member of like five organizations and I bought organization memberships for my family for Christmas and they did that based off of what they heard shared on this podcast. So that's, that's that's awesome. So there's a bunch of new members of organizations out there. Those organizations have no idea. Like, all right, we're getting, we're getting, you know, new members. They're, They're not asking where folks heard about them from. Uh, but we know, you know, that uh, uh, we're sending a lot of good folks to good causes right now. And I can't wait, you know, looking back on this year, you know, at year two, what that looks like, too. Yeah. Or they just bought a shirt from Public Land Tees and got five new memberships right off the bat, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, that was that is such a great initiative. I mean, I could, I could go on and on about the work that Sam and Josh do over there, but that was that was something really cool to see this year. Um, you know, thinking outside of the box. 
buying a $125 t-shirt, but then all the good that, that comes with it, you know, the t-shirt is basically just a, a throw in for, for people donating their, their money to, um, to new organizations. Yeah. Uh, and it's a trend I'd love to see continue moving forward in, yeah. in a big, big way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jared, I know we've uh, been running for a little over an hour here, but uh, I really appreciate you taking some time to, to hop on and kind of recap uh, the last year and, you know, kind of all the good things that we have to look forward to uh, this coming year. And I'm excited to, you know, do this again another six, six months, 12 months from now and, and hear about, you know, all the new companies and, and individuals that have come on board and all the success stories from all of them. Oh, man, me either. Um, I mean, we're announcing our, our first business member in Quebec tomorrow. Uh, fans of Letterkenny, everyone loves Quebec. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we've got some stuff coming down the pike that are big, big, big for wildlife. And, and hopefully, you know, solving some of these problems that have been plaguing conservation work for generations now. Uh, our members are finding solutions to, and folks need to know. And yeah. we're we're just so thankful, you know, for an outlet for that. That Dan and you decided to come to us instead of, you know, doing a, a, a another, you know, uh, two guys sit down do a podcast every week, tell tell you what they think, kind of thing. But you know, opened it up to, hey, we don't know who these volunteers, <laughs> who <Yeah>. these centers <laughs> might be. Um, but we want to open the door to them. We're just so thankful for that because it's provided a voice for people who honestly deserve the media, but don't get it. Yeah, so. no, and absolutely. And that's what I always tell the guests, you know, prior to recording, especially if it's maybe the first time they've recorded a podcast, uh, if it's their first time, you know, doing anything like this. I'm like, look, people are here to listen to you. They're here to listen to your story, not me. So like, if you feel like you're rambling or anything like that, I'm like, and you got a thought, I'm like, just go with it because- you know, they're not tuning in to listen to me, uh, you know, ramble for an hour. You know, they're listening. They want to hear your story. They want to hear about your business. And I'm just I'm just super happy with how well it's been received and all the positive feedback that all these um, businesses and individuals rightfully deserve. Yeah. Yeah. All right, awesome. Jared. Well, yeah. Take care of yourself. And uh, we will look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. You too, man. All right. Thanks, Jared. Okay, well, thank you again to Jared for taking some time today to uh, give us a bit of a recap with 2% and just kind of the conservation landscape in general. Uh, I would also like to thank the partners of the podcast that helped make this possible, Wild Rivers Coffee Co., Go Hunt, and of course, Stone Glacier. Uh, and if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org, and there you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to follow 2% and all the partners on social media where you're going to find nothing but positive content so you'll enjoy that conservation-focused uh, posts in your feed. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast up to this point and you've been able to really get something out of this. Um, again, be sure to check out the Average Conservationist uh, Instagram page to find out about the giveaways uh, that we're going to be running with our partners. So uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, stay safe out there and remember that conservation starts with you.